0: When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely, Lord, surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord.
1: As you would realize from the scripture reading and from... Pastor David's comment during communion, we're going to be looking together today at the first communion Jesus celebrated with His disciples. We do that not simply because today is communion Sunday, but because this first communion that Jesus celebrated with His disciples is the culmination of the entirety of salvation history. Remember, All last year, we looked at the promises of God throughout the Old Testament, or God's purposes throughout the entire Old Testament. You know, it begins with the story of the fall of Eden. And the idyllic life that God had created was deteriorated by the fall. And then God comes to Abraham in particular, not just to bless Abraham and his family, or just to bless Israel, the nation. But God comes to restore Eden and all that was forfeited in our world because of Eden. And so he began by promising Abraham descendants. And within uh, several generations, then God had fulfilled that promise. And when they were in Egypt, there was a horde of them, so many that they frightened the Egyptian government. And then the second, God had promised them a land. And so he brought them out of Egypt into a land of, of their own. Now, the third promise was that God would, through them, would bless the entire world. That nations would come to Israel to learn about God and worship him. And Israel would have national, international preeminence, and then they would lead the world back to God, and Eden would be restored. But a problem came up, because all along the way, God said, I'm being gracious to you, now I I expect reciprocation. This is a relationship. This is not one-sided where, where I do things for you and then you just kind of go your merry way. God called them to reciprocate. He called them to worship Him alone and He called them to obey the law. And so those of you who are here, you know the story. They never really did worship Him alone. Uh, They never did really obey Him. So time after time, God sent warning. God sent warning through Moses. God sent warning through the prophets yet they ignored and they ignored and they disobeyed and they worshipped other gods. And finally God sent them into exile. But with the promise that he'd bring them back and then he would restore Eden. And God kept his promise. God brought them back. But he didn't restore Eden. Because even after exile, Israel still refused to worship God alone. Still refused to obey. And that brought us up, brings us up to the New Testament. And it ties in with communion. And here's how. With communion, we have the pinnacle of God's work in salvation history. We have the pinnacle of what God is doing to restore Eden. It's not the final stage, but it's the climax. And here's how it works. It's based on this saying from Jesus that we read today in the scripture reading that was used in communion. It, it's based on this saying from Jesus. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew twenty six twenty eight. This is the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. For us, this is just a, a random comment about communion but it actually encapsulates the, basically the entirety of salvation history. Uh, There's three parts to it. The first part is the fact that Jesus did this at Passover. The second part is in this expression, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out. And the third part is the statement that this is for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let me take you through these three parts to show you how communion expresses the entirety of salvation history and why this is so important for us. What does communion mean to us, really? Basically, to us as moderns, it means that Jesus died for who? For me. To do what? To bring me back to God. Now that's entirely true. Jesus died for me and for you to bring us back to God. That's entirely true and entirely insufficient, because that's a small piece of why Jesus died. Why Jesus really died was to restore the entire world, to give the entire world opportunity to come back to God, to restore the world and drive it back to its original condition as an Eden. So let me show you that. We begin, first of all, with the setting Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We have the setting stipulated. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now notice, these were originally in the Old Testament, these are two different festivals. First the Passover and then the feast of the unleavened bread. The one day of Passover and the seven days of the feast of unleavened bread, an eight-day festival. That's how it was originally set up. But because they were back-to-back, conjoining, then they were celebrated, kind of they slid into one ceremony. So notice verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, they said, where do you want to eat the Passover? Well, actually, the first day of the feast of unleavened bread is the, is the Passover. And then it leads into the feast of unleavened bread. Why did Jesus choose the Passover. Why did God choose the Passover as the time for Jesus to die? This is not just a random, you know, it was about Thanksgiving time and Jesus went down to Jerusalem and then he was crucified. It's crucial that this happened at Passover because that's where the significance of the event unfolds. We turn back to Exodus chapter 12 and the, and the institution of Passover. i read to you, Exodus chapter 12, if you want to follow along, it's in your pew Bible, page 48. Here's what happened on the Passover. Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once, select animals for your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, take a branch of a tree, of a bush, dip it in the blood, in the basin, And put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you will go out of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the tops and sides of the doorframe. And he'll pass over that doorway. He'll pass over that house. And he will not permit the destroying angel to enter your house and strike you down. It's the first Passover. Israel is captive in Egypt, God has fulfilled His promise of descendants, and there's so many of them, as immigrants, like Middle Easterners going flooding into Europe now, there's so many of the immigrants that the Egyptians are afraid of, that if ever their enemies attack, the Israelites will rise up and fight with the enemy, and then Egypt will be defeated. So Egypt enslaved them. And God's people called out to Him. And God heard, and eventually he answered and he sent Moses and he t- told Moses to institute this celebration of Passover. What God said was that he was going to fight for Israel. He was going to kill the Egyptians and if Israelites did not want to die, what they should do is sacrifice this lamb. And they put the lamb over, the, take the lamb's blood and put it over their doorposts. And then when the avenging angel came through, to kill the eldest sons of the Egyptians, he'd pass over any house where he saw blood. And he'd liberate the Israelites. And so we see in Exodus chapter 12, after the angel has come through, and he's passed over these homes where the Israelite children were, and he struck down the eldest of the Egyptians. During the night, they didn't even wait until morning, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, leave my people you and your Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you requested. Take your flocks and your herds. As you said, go. Because God had struck down the children and saved the Israelites' children. Egypt cast them out and the second promise of God began. God provided a new land. Why does God and why choose Passover as a time for Jesus to die? Why does Jesus choose Passover as the time to go to, Beth- to, the, to Jerusalem? Not simply to celebrate a holiday, but to indicate that this is God's formative event. Just like the, the original Passover had built Israel into a nation and called them into the promises of God and moved them toward the restoration of the promises of Eden, What God is saying is, here's the true Passover. Uh, That was the dry run. That was the first stage. But here's the true Passover. What's about to happen is a formative event, not just for individuals, but for all of salvation history. What God started back in Egypt with Israel at the Passover, now God is bringing to its culmination and climax in Jesus at Golgotha. It will enable, just like Israel escaped divine judgment through the blood of the Lamb, so now many will escape divine judgment through the blood of Christ. Just as Israel was redeemed from captivity through the blood of the Lamb, so now many will be redeemed from slavery to sin and judgment through the blood of Jesus. The death of Jesus, first thing we learn from Matthew, the death of Jesus is the new Passover, the fulfillment of Passover the true Passover, where God passes over the sins of his people in fulfillment of his promises to Moses and the Israelites. The second piece of it comes in that expression, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out. That doesn't come from the Feast of Passover, but every Israelite would have known immediately where that came from. You know, we don't know our Old Testament that well. We're kind of spend a lot more time in the New Testament or a lot more time online than we spend in the Bible. Uh, they knew the Old Testament. When Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out, they knew what he was referring to. And it doesn't come from Exodus 12, but just a short time later, Exodus 24. Page 57 in your pew Bibles, Exodus 24. After, remember, after God showed grace to Israel in Egypt and pulled them out of Egypt. What what does God always call for? He calls for reciprocation. Worship him alone and obey him. And he set out what he was expecting from the people when Moses was on Sinai. And Moses went up the Mount of Sinai and came down with the Ten Commandments. And he presented them to the people. And he challenged the people, what are you going to do about this? God's calling for reciprocation. He's calling for us to return his love and grace by worshiping and by obeying. And here's the Ten Commandments. What are you going to do about it? And the Israelites, in Exodus chapter 24, the Israelites responded with one voice, verse 3. Everything the Lord has said we will do. So Moses wrote down everything the Lord had said. And then he got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. And he set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 clans of Israel. And he sent young Israelite men. And they offered burnt offerings. And they sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in the bulls. And the other half he poured out. He splashed against the altar. And then he took the book of the covenant that he you know the revelation he would received from God and written down. He took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. And they responded. Again they responded, "We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey." And then Moses took the blood from the bowl and he sprinkled it on the people and he said, "This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. And Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out. Moses poured out blood again on the altar and then he sprinkled the blood on the people and he said, this is the blood of the covenant. First we look at why and then how it relates to Jesus. See. The Israelites understood the significance. It's not written in Scripture. We can only infer it. But the best scholarly interpretation understanding is this. God said, worship, obey, make a commitment to me. And then they made a commitment to him by slaughtering the lamb and offering the blood on the altar. And then Moses sprinkles them with the blood. The symbolism appears to be this. That they are committing themselves to God in a life or death transaction. And remember, you know, when you were little kids, or if you read the book, To Kill a Mockingbird, remember how they committed themselves to each other in the book, To Kill a Mockingbird? You know, and, and Atticus didn't want to do this with Scout when she was going to make a promise and promise to fulfill it. They spit in their hand and they shake hands, right? Or another common one with kids was just you prick your finger with a needle and then you join fingers with, you know, just you sh- you sh- share the blood, right? A blood commitment. This is a more serious version of that sort of thing. What they do is they sacrifice the lamb. This is a life and death commitment. Basically, what it is in an imitation to God and say, "Look, you know, cross my heart and hope to die." Is another version of the same thing. If I don't fulfill my commitment, then you can kill me as I killed this lamb. That's the significance, as best we can figure, of them killing the lamb and making this covenant commitment in. Exodus 24. And so Jesus picks up that language that they would repeat every year many times a year. He picked up that language that was built into the subconscious. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out. Just as the lamb and that the blood of that lamb was thrown out against poured out against the altar, so my blood is being poured out. This is the blood of my covenant which is poured out. This is the commitment. The life and death commitment. This is what symbolizes, what marks out, what ratifies the commitment between God and man, that God to show grace and man to obey, man to worship. This is the act which culminates that covenant. Not just symbolizes, but ratifies that covenant. But notice the oddity In Exodus 24, Moses sent the Israelites to go get lambs from their flocks to make this commitment. In Matthew 26, Jesus doesn't tell them to go get lambs to make this commitment. He tells them he is the lamb that makes this commitment. He understood what God had done. And he understood what he was about to do. Instead of God sending the disciples out to get lambs, God himself provided the lamb. Instead of killing a lamb and splashing its blood against the altar, Jesus offered himself to death for the blood to be poured out against the altar. So you see how what we do here, it it culminates, it climaxes all that God had promised from the book of Exodus, is that a lamb will die for the sins of the people, but it's not the people who'll provide the lamb. It's God who provides the lamb. It's not Moses who pours out the blood of another lamb, but it's Jesus who pours out his own blood. The blood of the covenant poured out. And then Jesus adds one more thought to it, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. this This language doesn't come from Exodus, from the formation of Israel. This language comes from Isaiah chapter 53. As Israel is facing judgment and exile, In Isaiah chapter 53, we read this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquities of of us all. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. My righteous servant will justify many And he will bear their iniquities. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And Jesus says, this is the blood, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We know roughly when Isaiah the time Isaiah spoke of. Uh, We know roughly the message that Isaiah gave. We don't know who in particular Isaiah had in mind because he appears to have somebody in mind in his time, in his generation. Perhaps a prophet, perhaps the king of Israel. And and what God is saying is, look, the whole nation turned away. So God chose one spiritual or political leader. God chose, you know, When the nation falls away, the judgment of God comes against the nation. But when a nation comes under judgment, who bears the brunt of it? It's the leader at the top of the nation who bears the brunt. And Isaiah is saying, whoever he's speaking about, he's saying, this leader, whether prophet or king, this leader bore the brunt of our transgression. Because when our nation suffered, invaders go for the king. Invaders go for the political or the Religious leaders, that's who gets the brunt of the punishment when a nation invades. And so Isaiah says, while our nation turned away, many of us suffered no consequences, but he did. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord laid on him our iniquity, especially on him. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And somehow the nation was preserved through all of this. And as the Jews looked forward to the Messiah coming, or particularly as the Christians looked back on Jesus' career, they said, Isaiah 53, whoever it spoke about in Isaiah's time, speaks even more clearly about Jesus. Because Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of all of us. For the transgressions of God's people, he was punished. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. This righteous servant will justify many as he bears their iniquities. He pours out his life unto death and is numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And as Jesus looks on his career, and his followers look back, they fasten on Isaiah 53, and they see how Jesus fulfills not just the beginning of Israel's history as a nation in Exodus, but also the end of Israel's history in the exile in Isaiah Jesus wraps up the national history of Israel from its beginning in God's election and God's deliverance from Egypt until the the crisis of the exile for their sin and judgment. Jesus says, my life wraps up all of Israel's history. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We saw last week that Jesus brought Jewish religion to a something of an end. Remember, he cleansed the temple. He said, well, he cast the the sellers out of the temple. He said, this temple is, is corrupt. It needs to be reformed. And then he cursed the fig tree, which is a symbol of Israel. And he said, basically, this nation is corrupt. And it needs more than to be reformed. And then he told the story of the two sons in the vineyard one which said he'd go out and work and didn't, and the the younger one who said he wouldn't and did. And Jesus called out God's rejection of the aristocracy that was running Jerusalem and the temple, the Jewish leadership. And then he told the story of the tenants who conspired to kill the heir to the vineyards so that they wouldn't have to pay rent. They They would kill the landowner's son so that they wouldn't have to pay rent and they could live freely as they wanted. And Jesus called the end to Israel as a whole and its system of religion. And now in today's passage, he tells us not that it was a failed system, but it was a system leading to a climax, and he presents himself as its climax. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the lamb, Jesus says, I am the lamb who brought deliverance from the exodus. Jesus says, I am the lamb that is killed to ratify the covenant between God and man. Jesus said, it's my blood that's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Not the historic figure in Isaiah. Jesus dies, and we celebrate today, that Jesus dies as the new Passover lamb who defines who we are as the new people of God. Jesus dies as the new sacrifice that ratifies the covenant forever between God and man, the covenant that offers us salvation. Jesus dies as the new suffering servant who gives life to many through the forgiveness of sins. This is the message of communion. Not just through it, I can have a restored relationship with God. But through it, all of God's purposes dating back 4,000 years, 3,500 years, all of God's purposes, all of God's promises have come to their fulfillment here in the death of Jesus. There's one more step to take, and we'll take it next week. But here is the climax of it, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, fulfilling his promises that he first made to Abraham, that he first became, began to fulfill in the Exodus that he carried through the giving of the law and he brought the people back from exile. This is what we celebrate today, that God has had a purpose in history from the beginning of this age and has reached its culmination in Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Jesus, we do honor you, not just as our Savior, but as the pinnacle of history and the climax of the purposes of God. We honor you that history is your story, set it on your life and your death for many for the forgiveness of sins. Amen.